Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. And as we embark on 2024, I want to start by wishing you all a happy new year as we get started into the second day here of January 2024. You know, and as we kind of turn the page here, many people are going to be evaluating their goals. They're going to be looking at aspirations and things that they want to accomplish throughout the year. And, and for many of our audience, you know, just based on feedback alone, we know that housing is a big portion of that. We also know that, you know, you guys have been feeling the crunch of a lot of the things we've been talking about, which is inflation and the impact of that. Now that it's made its way down to the consumer and we've seen it cycle through the system and, you know, the feedback that you guys have been given online, greatly appreciate it. And uh, it's helped us kind of curtail some of our 2024 podcasts as we move forward. And just, again, the feedback and letting us know your thoughts. And you guys have had some really good input on there, especially on our YouTube channel at What's Your One More with number one. You guys have been doing some great stuff on there. So thank you very much. So let's get into just, I want to give some thoughts of 2024, a little bit with housing trends, uh, a little bit about the election year a little bit about some things that have been sent to us from our audience. And uh, and I'll get into that in a minute that are kind of in the fear-mongering, doom and gloom section of 2024. Um, and then kind of talk, finish it up a little bit about what what a market correction could look like, right? So let's start with uh, the first thing here. You know, I always go into an election year and I've been, you know, this will, I can't even count how many elections, presidential elections this is going to be uh, in my lifetime. But things happen during an election year that are very consistent. Um, and, and most of that is the economy starts to make a turn for the better during an election year. Very rarely do you see a presidential election happen and the incumbent rolls in with a disaster and that's a, a platform they have to run on. And so you see massive cooperation from the Federal Reserve. Uh, you see, even though they're supposed to work independently, you still see that you still see that cooperation there. Um, and in this case, you know, it makes sense for Powell to want to cooperate uh, at some level, at some capacity um, to make sure and ensure the economy is looking good for uh, Biden and, and his team as they roll into the election. Because, you know, uh, if you look at it, I think he was appointed by Trump, but, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of negativity that has come out of that Trump campaign about Powell. And there's a high chance if they were to win, I would be willing to bet that Powell would be very quickly replaced, if you may, as the Federal Reserve Chairman. So if you're Powell, you're looking at, hey, listen, how do I, how do how do I and my policies, you know, align with the current administration? So um, I think that that's, that's something that I'm going to watch for in 2024. The other thing I'm going to watch for in 2024 is, uh, you know, it's interesting who are going to be the candidates. Like right now, we don't know who those are. I mean, we have an idea, but we don't know. And uh, there's, a, there's a site, predictit.org, where they take odds and, you know, they present those odds that, you know, actually, I think people can place bets on. Um, but they actually have uh, both Biden and Trump neck and neck, like a dead evens of who will win the election. We haven't seen that on that site before. Um, there's been a slight lead. Uh, by the current administration for some time now, and now that's completely 50-50. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the outcome of the year is. But as we roll into a presidential election, the platforms are going to be the other thing that I'm going to be looking for. Are we going to talk about the national debt crisis? Is it going to be addressed? Are we going to talk about deficit spending? Are we going to talk about taxes? Are we going to talk about, you know, there are some things in Social Security Administration, the VA funding, you know, military spending. How is all of that going to be addressed in this election? Or is all of that going to be completely sidelined and it's going to be more bickering and more finger pointing, um, which is going to happen, but are we going to get to some of the topics that actually matter to the general public? So those are things I'll be looking for in the 2024 election. 
And as we move into the year, you know, some things that we look for in housing trends right now that to me, I think are really important. Obviously, the inventory continues to be at a significant uh, level of, you know, a lack of, if you may, there's just not enough of it while demand continues to increase. You know, I've been talking about on the podcast here over the last couple of episodes, the way we measure that demand is that we look at it through the mortgage applications that come in every single week, the MBA index for mortgage applications, specifically on the purchase side. And if that index continues to be up week over week, where you're seeing real-time data come in that measures demand going up um, versus declining. And as that demand continues to go up, that's putting pressure on the housing market that has a really a, a, not a good level of inventory compared to the amount of home buyers and prospective home buyers that are on the way. And another thing we take a look at here that's recently come out is the migration patterns that happened from 2023. Now, we look at migration patterns, and during COVID, they went off the charts. Like, for example, people were moving, obviously, um, from states that maybe weren't as COVID-friendly to states that were COVID-friendly because they could do work from home. And those migration patterns caused those states that people moved into to become affordable to almost unaffordable. And, uh, you know, you take a look at it, some of the least affordable areas now that were very affordable at the time um, where people are buying homes, you know, that happened in uh, uh, Florida being one of them, for example. You know, you had lots of areas of Florida that ab absorbed all this migration, Texas included, and the price points of those homes went up dramatically. But I take a look at the work from home issue on this and why is that one of the leading causes of the net migration actually being down in 2023? A lot of employers, um, specifically, you know, some of your larger ones kind of set the tone and said, you know, if you work from home, you don't work for the company anymore. Now, there's some people that still have this luxury and have this benefit. For the most part, though, many, many employers have brought everyone back in the office. And in doing such, that's really stopped this migration pattern, if you may, to work from out of state when you can work from home. The other thing is the affordability issue. You know, with higher mortgage interest rates in 2023, even though they declined nine weeks in a row on the backside of 2023, higher price points, that's kind of made it more difficult for people to also leave the home they're in right now and go buy a prospective home and live in another state and work from home. The other thing that's happening here is the average household formation has gone up. That means when someone's leaving their home, they're living with mom and dad, and they're going to create another household formation, that age has gone up this year to 26 years old. That means people are living statistically, data suggests that people are living in their homes with their mom and dad or a family member until they're 26 years old, and they're moving out to either rent or buy a home. In many cases, it's to go rent because the home ownership affordability was so strained in 2023 with higher interest rates and higher home prices. However, as we discussed previously, we still have almost 46 million Americans between the ages of 26 and 35 years old. Those are going to be your first-time homebuyers range. They are still out there looking for homes, and we don't have anywhere near that inventory to uh, help and, you know, and, and help alleviate that demand that is there. And you know, even when you look, I was discussing with my wife a couple of days ago, I said, you know, she said, yeah, but there's places for them to rent. There's apartments for them to go. And I'm like, there, there is right now places for them to rent and places to go. But also in 2023, we actually saw a decline in apartment multifamily builds for the first time in quite some years. And that's because the price to finance those apartments, again, interest rates were not favorable. It kind of slowed down the production of apartments being built as well. And by no means, and as I was here, by no means am I suggesting there's going to be nowhere for people to live. But it's going to take time, a significant amount of time to backfill that inventory and a significant amount of time to satisfy that demand. And I think that that's a, that's a housing trend that we want to take a look at here because in the background, there's a lot of people, a lot of, um, how can I say it? 
not economists, there's just people um, that are suggesting that there's going to be a housing crash. Um, and and, and kind of as we lead into that, uh, I want to go back to a couple of things that are important here. People that are buying homes basically later on in life have been doing that in California, New York, Nevada, Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi compared to 1980. Now, why is that important? Because those are a lot of the states that have higher home prices. Mississippi confuses me there. I'm not quite sure about that with no disrespect to Mississippi. It's actually one of the more affordable states. But I guess just the average home buyer's age has gone up. But those other states, prices have skyrocketed. And that does make sense to why people are buying later on in life, suggesting that, hey, the first time home buyer's age is 32. But now we're starting to see the first time home buyer's age kind of creep up into the, that later 30s because of those home prices. And then one of the younger states is going to be Iowa on that same list that we got from Adam's data as well that suggests where people are moving to to buy homes at a younger age due to affordability. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. Someone sent me an article and then I got it from another person and then I got it from another person and then I saw it pop up on a major headline platform and it was uh, from a gentleman by Harry Dent. And what it's suggesting is that it will be the largest crash you've ever seen in our lifetime in 2024. And so obviously when I get an article like that, I'm like, man, that's that's big time. Like, where is that coming from? More importantly, like I've got to read this, I've got to understand, you know, take the headline, dive into the article, get the details. But the first thing I did was research the author because I think that that's really important. Uh, I want to see their pedigree. I want to see where they're coming from. What's what's their motive behind this article? Because that's a pretty big, was that a headline grabber? Or is this guy, you know, does he have a lot of validity? Has he got a lot of research on that? And uh, what I found was that this has been his platform for at least the last five years, meaning that he's been calling for a significant market crash for five years. And so the first thing I think when I see that is like, okay, um, you know, I, I used to I have a friend who used to tell me, you know, people that continue to say the same thing over and over again, eventually will be right. So if you hold firm on that platform, and his example was it's real extreme. He used to go, oh, hey, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And eventually he will be right correct? So, I mean, at some point, if you hold firm on that platform, you'll be right. And then maybe that's the, maybe that's the, uh, the path that, that Mr. Dent's taking here, but I kind of wanted to address the article because he's suggesting this will be the largest crash in the history of the United States dating back to, you know, the start of it. And the reason for that is he is suggesting that the entire, um, economy, the assets, everything involved around the United States is built up on, um, on, on inflated numbers. And he kind of goes through it and says that uh, the stock market obviously is at an all-time high, which I agree with. Um, Housing is at an all-time high, which is true. You've got crypto, you've got gold, the list goes on and on. And his suggestion is that all of it is inflated. Now, I could absolutely see where he's coming from on the stock's standpoint, um, because what he is suggesting is that the stock market was built up on this false pretense. And then this part I, I agree with to a point. It's, it's built up on a false pretense of, of COVID money that was pumped into the system. And also 
government spending that was pumped into the system, and more importantly, favorable terms during COVID that were given to companies that were pumped into the system. And so you had a lot of financials that were basically inflated, more important, not inflated in the form of like inflation, but they they weren't, they weren't accurate. And what I mean by that is they were basically intoxicated by all of this COVID money that was pumped into the system along with lower interest rates. And so also a lot of those um, balance sheets, as we've seen with some of the regional banks, were not marked to market. And so you have a lot of assets that are toxic on people's sheets that are not having to be reflected in the numbers. And so I think there's a combination of this theology that, you know, it's doing better than it should be. And what goes up will come down. Now, a significant crash, I'm not so sure about that, but I do think that it is, I do think it is higher than it should be. And I do think you will see a correction there. And as he jumps into, and I think there's more reasons than what I'm describing as well. I also think that, you know, there's a lot of, um, how can I say, there's a lot of fallacies in the reporting. I'll go back to that. And I also think that the market right now, because of this real-time data that we're talking about, we get, they are already banking on these Federal Reserve rate cuts, and they're already pricing this in to future successes. And I think that's what you're seeing in some of these elevated prices right now. And then, you know, if you just take a look at the NASDAQ, you know, the NASDAQ on, on their overall NASDAQ index is up 50% on the year. That's like the highest since 1999 that it's been like that. And the last time 1999 was the dot-com bubble. And then we saw it decline 80% right after that. So I think that's one of the premises of like his greatest crash is on the ways that he's using historical data and rises to kind of offset what's happened in the past to what happens in the future. He also takes a, a shot at housing, big shot at housing. And the shot is, is exactly what we've been talking about is that, you know, we see the rise in home prices and he's saying that that is a bubble ready to burst. Now I've heard that so many times and I continue to argue why the difference between a bubble and a difference between inventory versus demand are two different things. You know, there's unlimited stocks. I mean, you can buy as many stocks as you want. You know, there, there always will be a stock for sale. You know, same thing with crypto. There will always be a coin for sale, but there's always going to be housing available. And that's what we're seeing drive this price. And I think that there's a big difference between relating that to what's going on in the stock market versus relating a simple economic formula and foundation on there. So I disagree with him on the housing side of things. Um, and then crypto, he goes right into crypto about that is a false asset bubble. I know there's a lot of people that have opinions about that. Um, you know, again, crypto is up 150% on 20 to end the year on 2023, specifically Bitcoin, excuse me, is up 150%. I kind of use that as the reference because it seems to be the gold standard of crypto, if you may. But the, the reality is that, yeah, there's a lot of points that he's making, but they're all being driven off of fear and they're all being fear mongering type of uh, points. Later on in this article, he goes on to suggest that there'll be a redistribution of wealth to the middle class. Now, this was the interesting part to me of how he suggested the, the it's almost like the, the fourth turning is what he was hinting towards. Oh, it's a book by Neil Howell and, and we'll do a podcast on that later because it's very interesting. Historically, these these fourth turnings happen and you know, there's, there's, there's a, not a predicted one, but a forecasted one coming in 2030, but this redistribution of wealth. Now we all can talk about COVID and what happened, but statistically and data suggests there was a K-shaped type of recovery during COVID, meaning that that the top half recovered much quicker than the bottom half. You know, when you look at a K, you know, over to the top part of that would be the top half being the, the top uh, earners or, you know, you could call it the, the the upper class, if you may. And then the middle class in the middle of that K and then the lower class did not recover as quickly as the definition of a K-shaped recovery there. But it was top end heavy. 
And so there was a lot of this rich got richer kind of mentality that was being suggested. And, and some of the analytics not only suggested or are proving that. His point was that they continued to make the top tiers make more and more money in real estate, make more and more money in the stock market, and that that entire community is going to lose 80% of their wealth in 2024, and that that new wealth will be found by the middle class. And um, he's suggesting that that the people that have money and cash on the sidelines will now be the new wealthy people in America because they'll be able to buy asset prices at a much reduced value compared to a lifetime of savings that people have had. Pretty extreme. Uh, I'm not saying that couldn't happen, but I'm saying that's that's not end of the world type stuff, but that's that type of extreme stuff. That's that fear mongering. More importantly, that's that clickbait that'll get people's attention because, you know, quite frankly, there's there's a lot of people that wouldn't mind seeing that happen, right? And not only would you not like to, not only not like to see that happen, but you'd like to be the part of the ones that kind of benefit from that. So um, he is definitely getting some headwind with this article. Um, but again, this isn't the first time he's written this article. This is the sixth time he's written this article. So again, I'm not so sure that that's what's going to happen. I think there's a lot of stop losses in there from that whole redistribution crazy thought process. But I do think there's an opportunity that if you did have a realignment of, uh, I'm not saying wealth here, but the stock market, people could take advantage and you could have a, uh, a rise for a lot of people to make significant gains in that depending on how you position yourself. But I do disagree with 90% of this article. I think it's a lot of fear mongering. I think there was a lot in that 10% that I do agree with that are statistically accurate because we've seen this movie before in the stock market. While I'm not suggesting a mega crash, such as what he was doing, I am suggesting that you will see a correction in the stock market. And it's something that, you know, I've, I've been saying for the last three years, I've been wrong for the last three years, but I, I think that there is going to be a correction once the, once the party runs out on some of the, uh, the, the inflation, excuse me, inflated type of you know, basically financials that are in there when, when people wake up out of the, the ether and go, oh my gosh, like the, these companies aren't as solvent as I thought they were, or more importantly, um, they're not making as much as I thought they were. And secondly, this AI, you know, rally that we've had, which is what really happened in 23, the AI rally is what boomed the NASDAQ. And we saw a lot of companies benefit from that. Once that kind of filters its way through the system, I think we'll kind of see it come back down to reality and realign itself. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was a correction versus a crash. I do think that is what's coming. It's what I just was kind of hinting towards, but things do and will correct themselves. And, and specifically housing, stock market, all of that is going to happen. Housing is going to take some time to correct itself because we have to backfill that demand. And the only way housing is going to correct itself, level off, maybe even see price, you know, come down uh, a little bit is when we fulfill all of the inventory that's been missing. And again, that is a five to seven year plan that is not going to happen in the next year. And so in 2024, I would anticipate home prices to continue to go up at what rate? Probably less than 5%, five being a peak, depending on what part of the market you're living in. Um, but I mean, the reality is they're going to go up or remain flat at worst case scenarios in your area. I had a, a viewer online go, oh, well, that, you know, that doesn't even make sense because there's home sitting. Um, that doesn't explain houses are going to come down because that's why we have home sitting in our local area. And I'm like, well, I'm willing to bet that home sitting because it's overpriced, it's overlisted, maybe more than it should be, not because the market's crashing in your area. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if my theory works out over his theory in this particular case. 
But I do think the stocks are more susceptible this year to a correction. Um, but again, I'll go back to the beginning of this podcast. 2024 is an election year. And what happens during election years is the economies typically thrive. They don't come down during election years. And I think whenever you have that in the background looming, that's the ace in the hole to keep the economy going and thriving in 2024. And we know the election doesn't happen until November. So you've got all year to see the benefits of that in the background here. And I think where the real noise is going to be is in the election. That's where the real noise is going to be. That's where all the drama is going to be. That's where all the arguments are going to come in. That's where all the um, the bad press is going to come from. And housing is going to be a thing that will be there It'll be there in the distant background along with these other topics that we're talking about as well because the frontliners are going to be the election and that's what's going to take the brunt of the media. And more importantly, that again is why I think you're going to have a better successful 2024 than maybe Mr. Dent wrote in this article. So if you guys like what you're hearing, please share this podcast, five-star review it, leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon, and then check us out our YouTube channel at What's Your One More. Till the next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it One more chance, I'm gonna take it I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put them all into it, yeah